Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch episodes on our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now here is this week's episode of The Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today I want to take you to a conversation that we had recently with our dear friend, Steve Cuss. Steve is the lead pastor, though not the founding pastor, you'll hear that in the interview, of Discovery Christian Church up in Broomfield, Colorado, and uh, we think is one of the most important voices in the local church in our day. Steve has written a wonderful book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, which I think is just so fantastic. There are so many wonderful books out there that address leadership from a tactical point of view, kind of the how-to. But what Steve is more concerned about is not the how-to, but he's really concerned about the manner in which, what do we hold? It's really about our being as leaders. And anxiety is a big word that kind of gets him into some of the things that trouble us as leaders, trouble our teams, trouble our churches, and then trouble society. We had a really wonderful conversation with him about leadership anxiety, how do we create environments in our churches where people can cultivate a non-anxious presence, and then what does that mean for our moment as a nation, and how do we live prophetically inside of this moment? It's a great conversation, and so without further remark from me, I'll take you right to it. Steve Cuss. Okay, well, we're here today with uh, our dear friend Steve Cuss. For those of our listeners who are not aware of Steve, Steve is the lead and founding pastor of Discovery Christian Church up in Broomfield, so just north of Denver. And uh, I have to say, looking every part, every bit, the part of the North Denver pastor today with that that beanie, Steve, we like what you're doing here, man. Yeah, I I just got done walking my dog, and I just then recently discovered that we're on video. So (laughs) there you go. go. We're full of surprises. Well, Steve, we've been so um, blessed by your work uh, over the years. Steve is the author of a wonderful book called Managing Managing Leadership Anxiety. And uh, I just think that this book is tremendous. We think that the work is Mm -hmm. tremendous. So, Steve, I'll just um, start us off today by asking you where this book came from for you, why this is important. So give us a little bit of biography, spiritual biography, leadership biography, if you will. Where does this come from? Yeah, you? yeah, uh, a couple of things. I, I love you guys, and mm-hmm. I love New Life Church, and um, I just every time I'm with you guys, I'm like, man, if I was in the Springs, I'd find a way to be at New Life. I just I love what you're doing. And, uh, and also, I, I should clarify, I'm actually not the founding pastor of Discovery. I've never okay. planted a church, but I came in five years after the church planter. Um, but yeah, that doesn't matter so mm-hmm. much. I just don't want to get more credit than... Um, <laughs> Very humble of you. Yeah. So for me, the, the book was born mostly out of, I think, some form of personal desperation, mm-hmm. uh, really just deeply desiring that, that what I was proclaiming to people is the life I was experiencing for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think it was driven, you know, by that Dallas Willard challenge of what if the life that you're telling others is that the life you yourself are living? Mm-hmm. And I just find that leadership, particularly in churches, it brings all these extra layers and pressures. 
that can really get in the way of experiencing the gospel. Mm. And so for me as a leader, it feels like about every three to five years, I hit some kind of wall and I just have to, I'm like, I either have to dig deeper or get out. And so each time so far I've dug deeper because I love, I just love the local church. Mm. And uh, for me, the book was born because I, I, I was in this little church plant. We had no money. We're in a cafeteria in an in a elementary school. So like in the hierarchy of church plan environments, you know, you get your movie theater, your hotel ballroom, your high school auditorium, yeah, yeah, yeah. your gymnasium, and then you have the cafeteria of an elementary school. Uh-huh. And we were in the bottom of the barrel and just really struggling. And so we couldn't afford any uh, professional staff. So I would just bring on members of my congregation, these amazing people that had no ministry experience. And I saw them hitting walls. Um, and it was right about the time we were moving into our own building so I reached back into my chaplaincy experience, my clinical pastoral education that I did when I was really young. And I thought, I wonder if I could apply mm. some of the tough lessons I learned as a chaplain mm. for my staff, because I was using them in my life. I was using them. And so I, I built a curriculum for my staff. That's now 10 years ago. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, I was approached a few times to publish and I kept saying, no, like this is an experience. It's not something you can read about. You have to try it on. But mm wiser people said, no, if you publish, like that can be people's experience. So, um, so that's how the book came about. I want you to talk about just for a second here. So our listeners kind of have a clear idea of what you're saying here. I think a lot of people hear the word anxiety. That's kind of a big catch word in our day. And they might be thinking to themselves, well, I don't experience what I would call chronic anxiety, or I don't, you know, I'm not waking up in the middle of the night, afraid of this, that, or the other thing. But I think that my sense uh, as I read your work is that you understand anxiety a little bit differently, maybe more broadly than most people define the word. So talk to us, just unpack that word for a second. What do you mean by leadership anxiety? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I do run into that where people are proud of being laid back or they say, look, I just don't worry much. Yeah, Yeah, so so the the theory that I work from is known as family systems theory. It was started in 1954 by Dr. Murray Bowen. And he's a fascinating human. I won't talk much about him, but people can Google him. He founded the theory and, and he simply says to be human is to be anxious. So I'm anxious every day. Um, I, I'm triggered every day. And chronic anxiety, which is a particular kind of anxiety, is always based on false belief and false need. Unlike, for example, PTSD, which is based on actual traumatic event or Mm. acute anxiety, which is based on actual risk. So if you're in a car and you're about to get in a car crash, that's acute anxiety. Mm -hmm. But I I just call it leadership anxiety because it's the most common form of anxiety a leader faces, which is when we don't get what we think we need, for us to be okay. And so then in very general terms, it's, it's like people pleasing or mm. uh, being understood. But where it gets really interesting is when you can get very concrete. So one of the forms of anxiety for me is I, I used to operate under the belief that every sermon I ever preach must be the best sermon they've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about it that specifically, anytime I would preach a dud or I didn't think it went well, or any time I thought it went really well, I'd get extremely anxious. Mm -hmm. If it didn't go well, I'd kind of go into a funk. I'd need my wife to lie to me and tell me it was amazing. (laughs) Um, And if it went really well, I would put myself under all this pressure. 
and so I was no longer living for the gospel. I was living for this false need. Wow. So what gets me excited is, is how much the gospel can help a leader uh, where you can actually have a much deeper encounter with Christ if you can get to know your sources of chronic anxiety. You, in the book, you, there's kind of two halves of it. The one is sort of this internal thing, isn't it, Steve, which you just described the false beliefs, the things, things that you think you need or the, uh, the maybe expectations you have of yourself. And you describe that internal thing as coming up against a gap. Um, talk about that a little bit, the gap between what a situation requires. I mean, here we are living in the middle of this pandemic. I think we've all found not just gaps, but chasms, grand canyons <laughs> in the things that we think we need. Uh, how have you, how yeah. would you apply that to what we're all walking through? Uh, I love that question because, yeah, I help people identify their own unique sources of anxiety. Like some people are not people pleasers. They're perfectionists, for example. And so they might believe the lie that they need to get it right the first time, every time, even though they've never done it before, something like that. But then what you're talking about, Glenn, is there's also a category of what I just call universal sources of anxiety. Mm. doesn't matter how you're wired. If you're in that environment, huh. it, the environment would generate anxiety. Huh. And that's where we get into the gap. So anytime a leader doesn't know what to do but has to do something, that leader is going to be anxious. Hmm. Anytime you're in ambiguity. Hmm. And so, yeah, the last 12 months, um, not only have we not known what to do and been in ambiguity, but we're also leading people, most of whom are good people, some of them are not. Most of, most of the good people we're leading have a strong opinion about what we should do, <laughs> mm-hmm. even though they're not the one having to carry the decision. Mm-hmm. That adds anxiety. Uh, some of those people form a phantom mob, whether it's well-meaning or not, where they gather others mm-hmm. and then they come to you and say, there's a whole lot of us that think this way, mm-hmm. but you don't know who that, those are and mm-hmm. that's a phantom mob that's going to generate anxiety. So there's all these gaps that just situationally generate anxiety. And man, my, my heart breaks for, there are so many pastors that are not doing well right now because they're simply worn down from, yeah, trying to live in that gap. And as you said, Glenn, it's, it's not a gap nowadays. It is a Grand Canyon. And mm-hmm. we really are wondering if we can make it. Steve, can I ask, you talked earlier about hitting the wall. So what are some of the walls that you see pastors hit? Can you name them for us? Can you give us a sampling of some of the walls that you've You've either hit yourself or you notice that pastors hit pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah, so I think when a pastor is better at eloquently telling people about the love of God but not experiencing for themselves, that they're going to hit a wall. Hmm. Uh, and so that's one of the gaps. When there's a gap between what you believe about God, what you proclaim about God, but what you encounter from God, mm-hmm. I don't think a faith leader, particularly a pastor, if, if your job is proclaim, proclamation, I don't think you can live in that gap long. Uh, another gap is unaddressed chronic anxiety. Th- these just quick things we're throwing out that eat away at your soul. Mm. You know, so many people think that burnout is because of workload, but it's not. Like I'm looking at three guys right now that I just personally know you guys have a pretty hefty work ethic. Mm. You, you like to work hard. You like to have a lot to do. You, that's not what's going to make you burn out. Right. We're going to burn out because we have not addressed what happens when the critic calls. So, for example, over Christmas break, you know, we shut down. Even though we shut down, I got four different texts and emails saying, Pastor, we have to meet <laughs> it, in yeah. some form. But we, yeah. I don't know what we're meeting about. Now, every time I get that text, 
maybe they're meeting to say, I've got a quarter million dollars I'd like to give to church, even though that's actually never happened. <laughs> let it be, Lord. <laughs> yeah, let it, right? Uh, what happens in me is my, my 16 years of being a lead pastor, all the previous times I've gotten that text come out of the past and into the present. They yep. infect my well-being. Mm. They, mm-hmm. they create a story I tell myself, and it's always the story I tell myself is, you're in trouble. Mm. You've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I have to work very hard to manage my anxiety because I can't control that people are going to send me that message. Yep. All I can control is how I manage it. But if I'm not managing that, that's going to be a wall that I hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so so if, if we're not aware of what triggers us and sends us down a dark path, I think all of those things become a wall. So what do you do? Give us an example specifically. You get those four mm-hmm. text messages. What do you do to manage your anxiety Good. over the, the ho- holiday? Yeah. Yeah, so I actually, it's interesting. Um, Besides uh, changing on, your phone number. <laughs> no, that would be smarter. Um, so I actually filmed a case study on this uh, for the people in my Capable Life community, which I can talk about later. But I actually let, I said, here's the text. I got the permission from the person who sent me the text. What I love about this example is I filmed the case study before we had had a chance to meet. So I, I filmed it still not knowing what we were going to meet about. Because mm. I wanted to show... What happens is we tend to blame the, the sender, the email sender. Mm. But if you, like my church has a couple of thousand people in it. I can't control those people. So the first thing I do is I give myself 30 minutes to an hour to let my mind go to bad places. <laughs> I think a lot of times what, what happens is we, this is getting a bit sophisticated, but once we've started these tools, we somehow believe the lie that we should never be anxious. Mm-hmm. So instead of that, I right. think that's too much pressure. Let yourself get flooded with anxiety. So I did that for about an hour, maybe 45 minutes. Then what I try to do is I try to become a sociologist of my own thinking. I love that. Now, this is difficult, but it's really helpful. So I start saying, oh, how fascinating. Look at all of the pathological crazy (laughs) assumptions I am making. Now, the first person that sent me the text, he and I are very well together. He's a good man. We have a long history, deep trust. So it became interesting to me that even though all of that is true, what I was telling myself was, he's out to get me. Yeah, right. He's got a phantom mob. He's bringing, he doesn't know better than to bring these, you know, stupid criticisms, whatever it was. And then what I paid attention to is, okay, how many of these pathological ideas can all be true at once? (laughs) Because I had about, I'd mapped out, it took me about 30 minutes to map out about the 12 different, ideas I generated. And now only one or two of them can be true. So once I'd done that work, then I externalized, which is a tool I teach. The reason we get stuck in anxiety is we never name it to somebody who loves yeah, us. Yeah. Yeah. We try to manage it on our own. So I grabbed my wife and I said, hey, here's what's going on. And I'm not doing well. And then I pulled out my life-giving list, which is another tool I teach. And okay, what can I do that's on my life-giving list that displaces anxiety? Because you can't always pray your way through it. I know right. that's not mm-hmm. very pastoral to say. And so I uh, got outside. I took my puppy on a walk and I talked to God. Those are three items that mm. are on my list. So I did all three of those at once. My dog was very happy. My dog's thrilled that he's on my life-giving list. He gets <laughs> <four walks. laughs> and so I took my dog out for about an hour. And he chased geese and I talked to God. 
And that to me is where the gospel displaces anxiety is just the simple reminder what's true. Mm-hmm. Because what anxiety does is it always tells me a lie. I, I, I actually believe, and I'm actually one of the few people I've found that has written a theology of anxiety. I believe that chronic anxiety is spiritual warfare. Yeah. I believe that in the Western culture, spiritual warfare is primarily in the story we tell ourselves and our inner critic. And so just that opportunity to get outside, stretch my legs, get my heartbeat going, look at my puppy that I I just adore this dog. And it helps that he adores me. Um, And then to say to God, okay, you know, Jesus, you died to free me from the tyranny of believing these lies. Mm. And that those are the steps. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's hard to follow audibly. Well, I'm on video, I forgot, but audibly those are the steps. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and play out the alternate scenario. I mean, if, I, if we're taking a stab at this, so if you, if you hadn't done that work, number one, you'd be mad at them. You, how dare they text me over Christmas yep. break? Why are they sending me this email? Don't they know I'm trying to unplug? These people are so uh, demanding. The sheep bite yep. and all of the sort of woe is me, Can't pastor your lives. family. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so yeah. then you either kind of block them, I'm not meeting with them, or... You you meet with them, but you go in, you know, defensive. Ge- yeah, defensive, geared up for a fight, and mm-hmm. and yeah. it, it, it well, you can find another church then, and you know, and it's like, no, yeah. actually, all I wanted to know was blah blah blah. It's yeah. good. Well, or or I think that's exactly right, Glenn. Or they are talking about something difficult, mm-hmm. and it's true, mm-hmm. like they're right, mm-hmm. and it's also true that they're for you. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my best growth as a leader has been people who are for me and for the church who have seen a blind spot in me or, mm-hmm. um, and so what's interesting is since filming, cause I, I then contacted this person. I said, Hey, here's why these texts are so hard as we get pathological and, and taught this person, they were mortified. Oh, I, sure. I didn't want to. And then to, to then say, could I use this as a case study? Cause this is every pastor. And then we met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was over a difficult thing. It wasn't so much something that was my fault. It was just a point of pain in our church mm. that we're all trying to figure out together. Mm. And this person just wanted to figure it out and was feeling the pain. And that's what happens is they, they can't manage their anxiety, so they right. send an urgent text. Now, the fourth one that I got, I texted them back and said, look, I've managed three of these texts well, but the fourth is breaking me. What are we meeting about? Mm-hmm. And that put the and that's another rule that I teach leaders is sometimes when you're anxious, you can figure out who's generating the anxiety and how do I put it back on them without it being a blame thing. Mm-hmm. So like that's that fourth person, that's what I did. And and they had something personal in their life mm-hmm. that was going to affect me, but it wasn't, I wasn't in trouble. Yeah. But they then had to struggle with, well, how do we tell Steve a little bit about what we want to meet about without you know, because we need to give the narrative. Um, but that helped me just to say, yep, let's meet. What are we meeting about? And then it was about two hours before they got back to me. Uh-huh. Yesterday. I, I know yeah. they're crafting. How do I say it? Sure. But then at least I went in mm. and I can be uh, I can be listening. One of the tools I teach is, is paying attention to your listening posture. Mm. So now that I know what we're meeting about, I can listen to learn mm. rather than listen to defend. Mm. And one of the signs that I know I'm anxious is when I'm listening to defend or I'm listening to fix. Yeah. So good. Very good. Yeah. Ha- and unfortunately ha- for pastors, oftentimes we're listening to fix. Steve, can you talk to us? Because I've read Friedman, who is a student of Bowen, right? And yeah. how do you become, you talk a lot about being a non-anxious presence. Yeah. How do you become a non-anxious presence uh, as a leader in a local church? Yeah, it's such a big 
and vital question. Basically, the, the first step is to pay hyper attention to your own reactivity. Yep. 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 So we, even in this texting situation, you know, Glenn, you laid out, you know, by the time you meet with them, you're ready for a fight. <laughs> Let's talk about how well you sleep, right? Waking up, worrying, yep. mm-hmm. how non-present you are to your household, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so becoming hyper aware to your own reactivity and then the next step is learning to notice how your anxiety infects other, other people, people and how their anxiety infects you. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's a contagion, isn't it? I mean, anxiety yeah. is contagious. Well, I want to ask you a question about that just to maybe take Daniel's question a little bit further. Steve, we're recording this now about a week after the events that really rocked our nation, you know, angry yeah. mob storming the nation's capital. We talk about anxiety. <laughs> And reactivity. Angst, yeah. I mean, that was an explosion of anxiety yeah. and reactivity. And That's right. it just makes me think about our responsibility as leaders in the local church, that um, at a minimum, part of what we must be doing in the local church is creating spaces where all of that can be diffused so that yeah. it doesn't break out like that. We're to cultivate a, uh, the kinds of environments where the peace that passes understanding can saturate our hearts and minds. So I'm so curious, you talk a lot in the book about um, how you lead this on your team, so your yeah. staff and all that. But I'm very curious about what you're thinking about as a leader of the local church in terms of discipling mm. your people into that yeah. kind of non-anxious presence that really makes a difference in the world. Yeah, um, that's such a great question. I mean, my short answer is I think we are failing in mm-hmm. discipling our people as I look on social media and see my people on social media. And then I think, well, that's probably not all. That's just a slice of our people. But I think this year has revealed that more of my people are discipled by their political point of view than by Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, been, that's been discouraging. Uh, I'll, I'll say with a capital, uh, Murray Bowen predicted this. He has a concept called societal regression. Mm. And it's the simple idea that if, if anxiety is contagious in a group and a society as a group, then as you guys said, we're all catching each other's reactivity. Yeah. And Bowen said it's just going to get worse and worse and worse unless there is a deluge of non-anxious leaders at every level of society, including it's federally. It's very good. And I think regardless of your political affiliation, you can agree that federally we do not have <laughs> non-anxious yeah, right. leaders. We have <laughs> leaders, particularly the president. I, you know, Regardless of your politics, the current president is probably one of the most anxious people in the country. Mm. And so his anxiety is contagious. And mm. what's unfortunate is I think he doesn't realize that. I think he's yeah. mm. not aware of how he... Um, or, I don't know, maybe he is aware, but so then as a, as a faith leader, um, part of what you have to do is differentiate, which is a technical term of, of calm presence. And what I coach people to do is to make for themselves a set of values mm-hmm. on how and when they speak up. It's good. So that they don't have to depend on their reactivity. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in my life, I have a set of values for myself on social media on how I behave. Wow. Because That's what I've noticed about myself is I am naturally self-righteous. I, at, at my worst, I think I'm smarter than others. And I <laughs> think that me putting someone in their place is what God wants me to do. So, <laughs> so then when, I, when I'm on Twitter, which is where I spend most of my time, yeah. You wouldn't believe how many times I think, well, you're an idiot. Let me tell you what's yeah, right. Yeah, and then yeah. one, 
And I believe the lie that one more post from me will make you change your mind. Yeah. So I realized, oh man, I better, I better put for myself some values so I can operate out of my convictions and not my reactivity. That would be a simple thing that every church leader can do. So one thing that we have chosen as a, as a predominantly white suburban church is any time an African-American is, who is innocent is killed, particularly by police, we name them and mourn them in our church services. Mm. Wow. And I get insane amounts of flack for it. It's pretty ridiculous. But because that's become a conviction and a value, it doesn't matter the flack. It's it's what You've we already, have chosen to do. It, it's like a pregame decision, which yeah. it, it, in the book, one of the things you talk about, and again, I, I, I kind of didn't finish my thought earlier when I said the book, the first half is sort of internal sources of anxiety. The second yeah. half is what you named as situational, but also relational. So yeah. in a sense, and I know all three of those spheres and circles overlap, you know, the internal, the situational, and the relational, and parsing that out is, is not always easy. But one of the things you talk about that is a little bit relational and a little bit internal is the giants on the shoulder phenomenon, where you have these voices, sometimes voices of people you love, sometimes it's a mentor, or I think of it in this day, Every time someone on Twitter says, "If your pastor doesn't say right. this on Come, Sunday, right, right. You, you know, find a new church, find a yeah. new church," and so so, yeah. and that could be actually that's also on cable news or wherever. But but yeah. those are the giants on the shoulders that pastors are feeling like I I, I can't speak about it, all the things, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah. you know, I, I have thirty minutes, right, right. <laughs> and I love what you're saying because you're you're saying to pastors, make a pregame decision, yeah. decide that this is coming out of conviction, not out of reactivity. Yeah, so I have people in the church. So we have a very politically diverse church in our city. Broomfield is halfway between Boulder and Denver, (laughs) every which way you might imagine. Um, So, And I love that. I'm really proud of that. And it helps our church that their lead pastor is an immigrant. So I can't Mm. vote. I'm not a citizen of America. And I don't claim to understand American politics. I thought I did before 2016. (laughs) We we all all did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's been helpful. Uh, however, yes, I have people who are quite angry that I don't speak up more, and I've had people who've left the church because I don't speak up more, and then I have people who are very angry every time I speak up. Mm-hmm. And what, it's interesting, so, so what systems theory helps you see is assumptions that are driven out of anxiety that are not true. Mm-hmm. So if you just picture that chronic anxiety blinds us from seeing what's true, and then if we can differentiate and, and become a calm presence, we're more likely to see what's true. I, I don't want to give the impression that I see truth and other people don't. I, mm-hmm. That's not what I'm suggesting, but this work helps you see more clearly. So this idea that um, the dichotomy of the pastor must speak up or else, mm-hmm. I just, I see that and I think to myself, do you, re-, like there's already so much noise. A lot of noise, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so I, one of my convictions is if somebody speaks up well, so I'll just name somebody. I think like Rich Velodas, our, yeah. our common friend. Yeah boy, do I think he's using social media so well Mm. to speak up well. So I am more likely to repost him or Mm -hmm. comment on him. But when I see that being done, I say, the world doesn't need one more voice from me. Right. Um, And so I think systems theory gives you insight to see, well, what what is happening that's just more of the same that's actually making it worse? So the more words we use, the more we're actually entrenching people into their 
opinion. We're not actually changing their hearts. That's the second order change thing that you talk about in the book. First order change is just double down on the same approach. So maybe if I tweeted yeah. more, I would change people's minds. And actually, a couple of days ago, Pastor Brady posted that. He goes, I, I'm not going to change anyone's mind by a social media post, but we keep trying this first order change. Let's just do the same thing, but harder or more yeah. frequently. And it's like, no, we need a second order change. The yeah. Part of what's perverse about it, just to add on to that, when you think about systems theory, is that it doesn't matter. I think this is to Brady's point, too, is that it doesn't actually matter what you say yeah. when you're in that first-order change space, even if what you think you're saying is the truth or if it's well-documented or mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. because it's so stuck mm-hmm. in yeah. the system. What has to happen is the system actually has to be challenged, That's and the it. only way that you can challenge it is with the non-anxious presence. Yeah, my all-time favorite... Family Systems quote is from Edwin Friedman. He says, the colossal misunderstanding of our day is that insight works with people who are unmotivated to change. (laughs) Right. Mm. Mm. Say it again. Insight works for people who are unmotivated unmotivated to change. Yep. Yeah. And he goes on to talk. He says, people can only, you can, uh, I I just butchered it, but he says, you can only lead people who are moving toward you. Right. And they're likely not moving toward you if your words are pursuing them. Right, right. But that's also the hopefulness to speak to the family systems theory. And what we need to wrap in just a couple minutes here, and I want to, I'm going to ask you a question here, but the hopefulness of kind of that systems theory is um, that if we can better define our own being inside the system, we can have a catalytic impact on the system. So um, self-differentiation mm-hmm. is not about removing yourself from the no. system. It's about staying connected to it, but being different inside of it, that non-anxious presence. So I want you with the last you know, few minutes that we have here, just talk about what you see as being the most important practices right now for leaders in cultivating the kind of non-anxious presence that really can make a difference in our churches, families, society at large. Yeah. Uh, The most important thing leaders can do is work on their own nature and connectedness. Mm. So if you just imagine there's four spaces, there's the space inside you, there's the space between people. Sometimes that's between me and you. And sometimes I walk into a room and I see it between each other. It's the second space. Third space is the space between me and God. The fourth space is the space inside another person. We spend way too much of our time trying to manage the fourth space. Mm. We keep, what are they thinking? Why do they do? Th- I can't believe they, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. So if you spend the majority of your time on the space inside me and the space between me and God, you will be blown away by how much you change your culture. Mm. Because what we don't realize is in a true system, we are all connected. So if I can't change you. But if I relate to you differently, it doesn't change you, but it forces change in the way you relate to me. Mm-hmm. Now, you might double down, it might get worse. I'm not making this sound like it's all better. But over time, uh, a calm leader can infect an unhealthy, anxious system. And I've seen it again and again. Mm. And it's really remarkable. And then what I get so excited about is Jesus is the preeminent example, yeah. even yeah. in secular psychology of calm presence, of non-anxious presence. Mm. And, and I, I, what I get so much hope about in 2021 is all this spin and the fake news and all the propaganda. And if you've seen the social dilemma, mm-hmm. some of the disturbing <laughs> lessons from that, I just keep thinking Jesus is the only one that will tell you the truth. Mm. And the truth will set you free. So if we can just 
be calm enough, we have a better chance of connecting people to the truth teller, the, mm. the way, the truth, and the life. I get, I get so jazzed about 2021 is ripe for the gospel. I, I really thought COVID would bring our culture to our knees and humble us and make us cry out for God. Apparently not. <laughs> but maybe 2021, mm. when people are seeing what's going on, that they actually will have a, a brokenness about them where they can discover um, the salvation of Jesus Christ. I, I think it's Amen. hopefully. But it will require calm pastors to, for good. them to see it. Amen. The Minister of Sanity, Amen. Steve Cuss. Uh, honestly, you are a blessing to the church. You're helping us think about cooler heads prevailing in the kingdom, and the work you're doing is absolutely important. All of us are are benefiting from it. We're paying attention, and we hope that more and more everyone buy this book, Amen. Managing Leadership Anxiety, and check out a podcast. Your, yeah, where can people find you? Yeah, the the best. Uh, opportunity nowadays is at a website called capablelife.me. Great. Capablelife.me. And it's capable for calm, aware, present. And uh, there's some free resources on there. And then you can pay, it's not much money, and you get all my video resources. You also get a community. Um, right now we're in seven different countries. We've only been open a week as the recording of this video. So it's brand new, but it's confidential discussion forum. And then it's monthly Zooms with coaches. So it's kind of a way to not just hear about this, but try it on for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a few people, that whole team is joining. So capablelife.me is probably the best place. Thanks for being with us today, Steve. We appreciate you. Uh, thanks for having me on. I, I love hanging out with you guys. We love it too.